This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Election Day is almost here, and Wisconsin Democrats like Mandela Barnes are working down to the wire to turn out votes for Joe Biden and candidates up and down the ballot. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about government and politics in Wisconsin. I caught up with Wisconsin's lieutenant governor a few days ago, and we covered a lot of ground aside from the election, including COVID-19, racial disparities, and climate change. Well, thank you, Lieutenant Governor Barnes, for joining me. Oh, Cook's Vote. You're holding up a sticker right now. Cook's Vote. Um, You've been doing a little pandemic cooking, haven't you? I've been doing a little pandemic cooking, and people are starting to take notice. (laughs) Uh, You know, ideally, if we were not in said pandemic, we could be doing, like, interviews over cooking. We could have a whole, you know, cooking show. It'd be great. There are so many options, and um, I know you've been cooking also. I have. uh, for, for today's wedge issues, dare I mention the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you holding up aside from cooking during the pandemic? I am, I'm holding up. Um, you know, I've been, I've, I've been a little bit more conscious about just like physical health um, because just kind of being cooped up, it, it can be sort of tough. Right. So I, uh, I get out for a little jog every now and then. Uh, I have a, I have a couple weights, not a whole set, but I have a couple weights. <laughs> and um, I, I try to just make sure that I incorporate at least like 30 minutes of some sort of physical activity into my day just because it's, it's so helpful. It keeps my mind clear and, and it just helps me get ready. I try to do it in the morning, too, because I, I want to be on the right path for the rest of the day. Yeah, uh, you're actually one of those people who enjoys running. So you've got that going for you during this. Well, enjoy, you know, you get there, (laughs) you get there, you know, you don't start out enjoying it, but you know, you develop habits and it just becomes a part of a lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. Um, So yeah, elections are stressful and pandemics are also stressful, it turns out. And uh, we've all got to kind of keep do what we can to stay sane. Uh, we get right all now. the stressful things at once. All of it. All of it. Like uh, this, couldn't have, this couldn't have been an off year, right? Where we had no. a pandemic where it's like, all right, well, okay. It'd be a little bit more manageable. But no, we I, have an election on top no, of No, of course not. Like major stuff. I mm-hmm. ha- was thinking earlier, like at least we don't have a Senate race on the ballot this time. That's like one Well, thing. apparently, according to somebody, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So speaking of elections, we are talking right now five days out from the presidential uh, election. What do those five days look like for Democrats in Wisconsin? Oh, man, a a straight sprint through the finish line, like just everything. You know, even if your shoes come untied, you just keep running. You don't stop. And I know the next few days for me are just going to be just a blur 
uh, just trying to do as much as I can. I know personally, I've had a chance to do events with candidates all across the state um, for the Assembly Senate and our congressional candidates as well. Uh, Going to try to finish out strong with last minute events for them as well, be it a rally or uh, a fundraiser. And, um, you know, we just have to we're just, we're just going to keep it up. And for the party, uh, there's going to be a bunch of last minute events. We just uh, I just wrapped up the Soul of the Nation bus tour for the Biden Harris campaign. And, you know, it is going to be just leaving everything on the field. We don't want to look back and, and think about all the what ifs or, you know, maybe we should have done this this way. There's, there'll be no second guessing on November 4th. Uh, at least on my end, I'm not going to sit back and and wish I would have done something. I'm going to try to do as much as I can. And it's different virtually because you don't have the same gauges that you had uh, when you're able to do things in person. But I will say that this year feels much different than four years ago. And what specifically does feel different? And what do you see the party doing differently? So I'll say there's a certain energy. And I've talked about this before. Um, there was a time uh, four years ago when I did a social media takeover for uh, for the presidential campaign. And I was with a group of my friends and I was like, hey, do you want to get in this selfie with me for the campaign? And like, there was so much hesitation and some people <laughs> didn't even do it. I'm like, wait, guys, guys, we're friends. You're, you're my friends. Like if nothing else, just do this for me. And they wouldn't. And uh, <laughs> at least one of those same friends, a few actually, um, it's like literally riding around town with a trunk full of Biden hair signs. And so the mood there, and that's just a very uh, specific anecdote, like, but at the same time, that, that's not isolated either. There is a, there is a real energy uh, for people who were on the fence four years ago. Uh, you know, they have now lived four years under a Donald Trump presidency. And there is no question what life is like under uh, this sort of leadership with no plan for the pandemic, uh, no plan for health care, uh, an, an economy that is uh, in, you know, in shambles right now and very little opportunity for people. And so uh, even if people you know, didn't have Joe Biden as their first pick in the primary, uh, it is it doesn't matter at this point. They are they are ready uh, to, to vote. Uh, for 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 something different, they are ready to bring some sort of normalcy back to government and, and back to politics. So that is uh, that is exciting for me. Um, it's exciting for the campaign, and we are we are ready to to, to wrap this thing up. You mentioned um, you know that you you can't really capture the feeling uh, or the gauge of of enthusiasm that you get when you're doing campaign events in person. And I know you've had the opportunity to do a few like drive-in events, um, concerts, rallies, stuff like that. Uh, but when you're watching the Trump campaign hold all of these in-person events and you know seeing what that looks like, um, I guess you know how do you how do you approach that from your end in terms of balancing safety and enthusiasm and you know do you think that this is the the right way to be doing it? I do think it's the right way to be doing it. I mean the the Marquette poll that came out showed like sixty four percent of voters <laughs> wear masks regularly, and I don't get what you know their political calculus is there with being so anti mask. And it's the same thing like these people are just against science. You know, so it's, it's I, I, I sort of expect it, no less frustrated by it. But the same people that deny climate change are the same people who deny that the pandemic exists and they are still going to go about their lives in, the, in this way, 
putting the health and safety of so many others at risk because they feel like if it does not impact them, then it doesn't impact anybody else. It's a, you know, it's an unfortunately selfish way of thinking about things, but uh, that comes from the top. This is their leadership. Uh, you know, they're, the, the president feels this way. And, you know, he has so many enablers in the state legislature, so many enablers in Congress as well, who are just going to go along and do whatever he says, because I don't know if they're frightened by him. I don't know if they're intimidated, uh, whatever it is. It feels like they're in some sort of a, a, a Trump trance. And, you know, they, you know, I predict that they will see the consequences of that come uh, come this Tuesday. Uh, but, you know, that that remains to be seen. But I, I think a good bet is that they'll be singing a much different tune afterwards. So what would it mean to have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House? So to have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House um, means, well, one, like I said, it means that the nation has rejected this grotesque style of leadership um, that we're experiencing under Donald Trump. That's what it means almost more than anything. Uh, It means that people recognize that there was a mistake made four years ago and we need to correct it. Um, And again, Joe Biden is a person who is an experienced leader. And, you know, people can say whatever they want about career politicians and all that. But now you see what happens when you get uh, a a person who has no experience in government, nor does he want to. He doesn't even it's like he doesn't want to experience government. He wants to do things in a certain way. Uh, that only benefit him, only be- benefits himself. And this is evidenced in all sorts of uh, decision making and, and, and self dealing. And with Joe Biden, people know what they're getting. People know what to expect, at least to some degree, you know, having been the vice president. But now, I mean, the platform that he's running on is obviously uh, much bolder than the plan was, uh, than the platform was eight years ago. And four years ago, or excuse me, eight years ago, and was that two, 12 years ago. But I say that to say it's sort of like, I guess you can call it political inflation because the issues are much different, right? The, the Barack Obama campaign of 2008 may not have been as successful in 2020. And it's the same way that, you know, uh, that in, inflation goes as it, as it rises. Uh, there's the same way that political sentiment uh, goes. It's that same trajectory, that same sort of trend. And uh, Joe Biden has been a person who's evolved, especially <laughs> since the primary, you know, and I make it very clear, Joe Biden wasn't my first choice in the primary. He honestly wasn't my second choice. Um, but I'm, I'm very clear about that. And that's not going to stop me from voting for him. That's not going to stop me from being enthusiastic about his campaign. Uh, one, I actually do still. I mean, we had 16 or we had a whole lot of people running for president. So it's very easy for him not to be someone's first choice. Um, but I'm no less enthusiastic about vote, casting my ballot. Well, I already cast my ballot for him. Uh, I'm no less enthusiastic about checking the status of my ballot for him <laughs> now or encouraging other people to get out and, and, and do the same and exercise their vote, preferably early. But if you must on election cycle, my disclaimer, obviously, do it safely, protect yourself, uh, protect our poll workers. Sure. It kind of feels like sometimes um, Democrats more than Republicans have a tendency to really strive to get that absolute perfect thing that they're looking for um, instead of thinking about, you know, how do how do do Democrats win? How do they get in office? How do you compromise? Um, You know, like have have any of these people been in relationships before? 
Like, of course, of course you want stuff to be perfect, but it's not. It's not always, this stuff is going to be hard. Things, there are going to be challenges. There going to be arguments. Like, there's going to be frustration. That's, just, that's the way life is. And there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. There are some that we love more than others. There are many who we feel a, a deeper attachment to, uh, a sense of closeness with, be it um, the issues they talk about or be it their own life experiences that we can identify with. There are all sorts of things. Uh, however, you know, if we want the perfect candidate, like you, you just got to do it yourself, right? You just, just got to step up there and run. And another thing, too, on the um, enthusiasm side, uh, side uh, that is much different from four years ago, I have literally not heard much at all. And maybe it's because the Green Party candidate is, is not on the ballot here in Wisconsin, but even in the national conversations, even on the, in the Twitter sphere, like I have some very left friends because, you know, that's where I came up, right? Like those are those are still my friends. And, you know, I, I haven't gotten as much of the, um, you know, anti-establishment rhetoric from them as I gotten four years ago. You know, some people are just like some people are reluctant still like, oh, well, I guess I'll just vote for Joe Biden. And they'll list off every issue that they don't particularly uh, agree with him on. They're like, oh, I guess I got to go do it. Whereas four years ago, like, you know, I would see people in, you know, on Twitter, like more, much more so promoting, you know, third party candidates, uh, Green Party candidates and nothing against the Green Party at all. Uh, but I'm just not seeing uh, that sort of um, that, that sort of um, movement to uh, just completely uh, step away from the Democratic Party uh, this year. Sure. I mean, no matter what happens in Washington, in Wisconsin, really seems like the two parties can't agree on anything, really. Um, do you see that changing after the election? But that's the thing, though, like, you know, we get into these conversations about the two sides not agreeing, like some things are just basic facts. And the pandemic is a fact. Uh, the efficacy of mask wearing is a fact. Um, you know, the prevalence of this virus is a fact. The lives lost is a fact. The number of small businesses that are being dealt a crushing blow. These are all facts, right? And I am going to stand on the side of these facts. And it's not whether somebody agrees with me or not politically. It's whether they uh, agree with the facts. Like these are, there are just certain things that you can't argue with. And even if, you know, we can talk about an issue, we'll say, um, I'll just go into Jacob Blake, the issue of policing, right? Like if there, if you have disagreements, like we put together, you know, our reform package after the murder of George Floyd and, um, you know, the speaker of the assembly months later responded with this, uh, with a task force. Well, my thing is, it's not about agreeing or not. Like if you disagree, have the debate and they don't want to have the debate. That is the problem. And if someone is going to run away from the debate, having an overwhelming majority of the legislature just shy of a supermajority, then they don't think they don't even believe that they're on the right side of these issues. If they won't talk about them, if they just continue to ignore and push them off and pretend as if they don't exist, then that is a signal of a much deeper problem. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I personally think that, you know, some reform that's necessary in government is that, you know, all bills get a public hearing. You know, that would make things so much more that would, that would make things incredibly uh, different here in Wisconsin, because the public would have a chance to hear why this is or is not a, uh, a why this is or not a good or bad idea. And the public doesn't get that. Uh, they don't they don't they don't get that uh, luxury 
uh, of having uh, the debate of ideas in a public forum. It's in many ways, it, it feels like a sham. You mentioned um, the re the policing reform bills that you and the governor proposed months ago. Um, like you said, obviously that came after George Floyd um, and after years and years and years. And Jacob Blake certainly triggered a lot of feelings and frustrations throughout Wisconsin. I think, you know, the state's still feeling a lot of that out. Um, are you optimistic about this task force or not? Nope, because it feels like a delay tactic. I'm optimistic about some of the people who are on the task force. And that's great. You know, I, I talked to a few, uh, but it's a cop out. You know, this is this is something where, you know, Speaker Voss can say he he did. He tried something he need, and he in some way acknowledged it, <laughs> but he hasn't had an objective viewpoint that even favors uh, what what um, respectable um, what a respectable outcome of this task force would, would look like. So, no, I, I think I think that, uh, you know, the bills were there in front of them. Um, this has been a long enough studied issue. And as and, I, and I'll speak as the chair of a task force, you know, the task force that I chair uh, is on climate change and chairing that task force. There are so many interests uh, when it comes to the issue of climate change. There are energy providers that have to be a part of the conversation because the overwhelming majority of people in the state aren't able to generate their own electricity. That's just not possible uh, right now. So we have some reality that we have to deal with when it comes to, um, you know, how that energy is going to be generated. Uh, we have issues of water quality that are much different depending on what part of the state you're in. You know, we have climate change issues that impact communities in, in a broad uh, set of ways. And so we want to be able to come up with recommendations that impact every community in Wisconsin. And given the varied, um, the varied level of either prevalence or intensity, we need to have a task force. Uh, with this issue, um, it, it, we're, we're, this, it's not that it, we're talking about race in Wisconsin, a state that is, uh, has faced some of the most extreme racial inequities uh, imaginable or even uh, documented. Right. Whether it's homeownership, whether it is incarceration, whether it is poverty, whether it's food insecurity, whether it's health outcomes, all these issues exist and we know them and we know them because we see the same studies every year that prove that this is the case. And in policing specifically, uh, the set of, um, the, the, the list of bills that were introduced are, they are a, they're just a first step, right? These aren't, these aren't even controversial bills. Like this is the same, this is, ver this is a mirror image of what was passed unanimously by the legislature in Iowa and signing the law by the Republican governor. And Iowa's legislature looks much like Wisconsin's legislature. So to delay and signal that we can't get this done means that you either just don't care or you don't care. Um, I asked the, the co-chairs of the, the task force when I talked to them a few weeks ago, um, if either of them thought the state um, you know, at the legislative level or in terms of bills that have been passed uh, has done anything over the last decade to um, have a positive effect on racial disparities. I'm um, wondering what your answer to that question would be. Not, not to a real, not to a real degree. And I, I'm a realist, like I, this stuff will not change overnight. 
right? One administration, this stuff won't even, you know, change over four years. But I think that one, you have to have an acknowledgement. And I don't think the legislature, the Republicans in the legislature, I don't think they're willing to even confront these issues and acknowledge that they exist. So many people get wrapped up in their bubbles and are only concerned with what goes on in their district. And that's the thing I, I bring up a lot. Like when I was a state representative, I couldn't just get caught in my bubble and only be concerned with what happened in the district that I represented. One, because who was the speaker of the assembly? Who was the Senate majority leader? They could not care less about what was going on in my district. However, when it came to issues of, of husbandry or raw milk, right? I had to know that stuff. I had to figure it out. I had to take a vote on it. You know, and it is a shame that we don't get the same consideration. You know, it is a shame that every part of the state uh, does not get treated equally uh, by, by this uh, hyper partisan legislature. It's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's actually pretty maddening the more that I talk through this, because every other issue that comes up under the sun, got to figure it out, got to talk about it, got to discuss it. And when it comes to those issues that impact marginalized communities, communities of color, black communities, brown communities, indigenous communities, like it is always swept under the rug. It is always uh, disregarded and they should be ashamed because I don't, I don't know if they realize that um, you, you got to judge a society by the way that it treats uh, the least of these, the citizens who uh, don't have access to opportunity or don't have equal access to resources and they cannot be concerned with that. Why do you think that is? <laughs> well, there's a number of reasons why. Uh, one is because I can start out by saying, we'll, we'll start out light and saying that their lives aren't impacted by it and things that don't impact their lives uh, don't matter to them. Uh, you know, there's, there's a sense of selfishness. And then there's uh, there's some there's some there's some racism under the cloak. There's some there's some veil racism. I'm I'm not afraid to say that. Like that is a, that is a real thing. And you know, a lot of people don't want to take on these issues because they don't want to be held accountable for decisions that they've made, or they don't want to be held accountable for opinions that they hold. And too often, people think about racism as always being under a white hood and a white sheet. And that's just not the case, right? That is that is some overt racism right there. But there are other levels as well that are that are more systemic and people don't want to be uh, classified in the same category. And I get that. I get that. They don't want to be classified in the same category as a, as a person, you know, out there burning crosses. But at the same time, you should at least have uh, that desire to want to do better, to be more effective, to more accurately uh, represent people uh, in the entire state. You remember the state legislature, you are effectively responsible for all the citizens, everybody within the borders of Wisconsin. And I think about um, people aren't asking for, for a whole lot. People aren't asking for something unique or special. Black people in Wisconsin, Latinx people in Wisconsin, indigenous people in Wisconsin just want access to the same resources that their neighbors have access to. And we should expect that. And we should have a desire to want to provide that opportunity for people in any part of, in any part of Wisconsin, right? Like I, I was very intentional about the time that I spent in rural parts of the state. I was very intentional about making sure that I took time uh, to visit with family farmers to talk about what they were going on, dairy farmers, uh, you know, beef farmers, pork farms, like everywhere. I, because 
their perspectives matter. And, you know, they are also our, our small family farms. They're being dealt a bad hand. They are being disregarded as well. And this is, uh, this, this is an issue that I think uh, has an opportunity to unite people all across Wisconsin because this whole urban-rural divide thing, like I said, is a, is a big farce. It's a political tool. And the communities that are, um, that are being uh, ill-served uh, are all across Wisconsin. And, you know, whether it's low income, whether it's our family farmers, whether it's, you know, people of color, uh, the list goes on and on and on. And when, uh, when that day comes, when each community realizes that um, the levers of power uh, here in Wisconsin, the people who are holding them back, um, once they once they are properly identified, it will be a, a very rough series of, of years and election cycles uh, for for those elected officials, for those politicians. Namely, right now, it has been uh, Republican legislators in Wisconsin who disregarded uh, people equally. Um, to turn back to the task force that you brought up that you chair, um, the governor's task force on climate change. Um, which, you know, I guess also ties into a lot of the issues that you're talking about. Um, what can we expect to see? I know you've had some listening sessions. You've been kind of going around the state trying to hear from people about, you know, what what they recommend and, and what they need. Um, what can we expect to see in terms of budget proposals or, or other actions coming from that task force? Yeah, we are actually wrapping up uh, the report right now as, as we speak. Um, there'll be a number of, of, of issues that come up in the report that will be recommended either for the budget or standalone legislation or potentially even uh, you know executive order as unfortunately we've had to operate through EO uh, much of this first term because the legislature you know doesn't want to respond and uh, I, I think it is a I'm excited about it because it is not easy bringing uh, groups of people who have traditionally been at odds with each other uh, but haven't had a chance to speak to each other, <laughs> you know, and if you got utilities, you got environmental advocates, you have, uh, you know, some, some youth climate change leaders, you have uh, family farmers, you even have some uh, larger farming operations uh, interests represented. Um, yeah, utility, I may have said utilities, um, you have labor, <laughs> you know, you have small and large businesses who are a part of this task force. And, the most exciting part about it, too, I think, was probably the public hearings, uh, the public listening sessions, I should say, that we had. And they were modeled after the governor's budget listening sessions that we held across the state uh, after we were elected and uh, right before we introduced the budget, because it gave people a chance to air their grievances, to talk about, you know, what was going on in their communities, things they had been working on. And we also had presenters, too, uh, a, a diverse set of presenters who brought issues to the table. And I had members of the task force, um, people who've been working in the environmental space for a long time, uh, who, you know, who called to say, or I, I called and did check-ins, but who I spoke to on the phone and they just were thankful about, you know, hearing perspectives that they had never heard before, even though they had been involved in this work for decades, but still uh, there were pieces of environmental justice that had never crossed their desk or never crossed their minds. And so this can go back to that other point when I talked about an unresponsive legislature, one that fails to meet the needs. Um, it's only bad when it's intentional. 
because like the person I'm using as an example in the task force, like it's not a person who I, I think has any sort of uh, ill will towards uh, communities that are not uh, that are not theirs. Um, it is the desire to want to know and the desire to want to be effective. It's the it's what are you going to do once, you know? And I think that, you know, by sheer virtue of being in elected office at that point, you should know. <laughs> You know, don't even seek public office if you haven't taken time to, you know, engage. But and if you do learn or if you do hear concerns about people, if you do hear complaint or excuse me, concerns from people or complaints uh, as well. Uh, the question then is, how will you act? And so with this task force, um, I'm proud that, you know, we've heard the heard the, the, the cries of of communities when it comes to water quality issues. There will be more. Uh, that will be introduced and you know brought up in this report about water quality. Things will be brought up about air quality, uh, tribal rights, uh, making sure that we look at environmental justice when we are making decisions here, uh, encouraging uh, the use of, of of renewable energy, be it in state government and also uh, and also in, in private life for people as well. Uh, you know, transportation is a is a big part uh, of that equation as well. I think we should be doing way more to support public transportation infrastructure as well. And that's a tough conversation to have at this point, too, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, you know, in, encouraging more people to be in confined spaces. But we have to look to the future and recognizing that one day we will be out of this pandemic and we are going to have to pick up the economic pieces once we get out of the pandemic. And transportation is a key part of that. And mass transportation, public transportation is a vital component to building a strong economy. So you've worked with a lot of the people who are still serving in the legislature. You obviously work closely with the governor now. Do you think uh, there's an opportunity uh, to to bridge the divide that seems to have really kind of cemented itself uh, after the election? It would be easy, like in in normal times, and I'm, I'm talking about before COVID. Like in, I mean, insane times, not insane in. Within sane times, <laughs> within, within a, a sane period of time, um, yes. But, I mean, we can go back to the lame duck session, right? Like, I, I hate to keep bringing that up, but that's the reality. You know, before we took office, they made their move. It was unnecessary. They didn't have to. That was very antagonistic. And it was a signal that they did not want to work with us. It was a signal that they wanted to keep as much power in control as they possibly could. And it's not just a strategy here in Wisconsin. It's the same strategy we see at the federal level with, you know, Donald Trump now having three Supreme Court justices. He should have only been able to have one, um, you know, and he Donald Trump has appointed a third of the Supreme Court. Like, think about that. A third of this court is Donald Trump's court. And it's all about power. Uh, to them. And it is it is not necessarily been uh, about the interests of any majority of people in this country, for that matter, because uh, I can I can tell you, like the majority of the United States of America is being ill served, uh, not just by this administration, but uh, this sort of um, this sort of political um, political point of view. In, in all 50 states, not all 50 states, but states that have, you know, experienced the type of um, extreme partisan gerrymandering that we have here in Wisconsin, states like, you know, North Carolina, states like you know, Iowa, um, just all across the country, Ohio, uh, Michigan. And 
folks are folks are going to get tired. You know, people are waking up to it. People are waking up to, uh, you know, the, the, the extreme level uh, of injustice. And as more people, you know, unfortunately find themselves uh, wondering where their next meal is going to come from, uh, they'll know who to point to. And as billionaires in this country, uh, has, their wealth has increased to $10 trillion and 8 million people have somehow slipped into poverty. I'm using air quotes for people who are listening. They slipped into poverty. Nobody, 8 million people don't slip into poverty. Not at the same time we're seeing uh, historic levels of, of wealth increases. Um, and that just means that it is ever more possible for more people to fall into that uh, trap and to fall into that cycle of poverty. And the scariest thing too is, you know, what jobs are actually gonna come back? You know, especially with businesses who are able to keep some degree of, uh, of economic stability, of financial stability, I should say, and even with a slim down workforce, or do you think they're gonna start bringing workers back if they're making the same amount of money? I don't think so. And cities across America, um, you know, as people are, we're going, to, we're going to be going into a housing crisis where people aren't going to be able to make their mortgage. People aren't going to be able to make rent. More farms are going to be going out of business. Like the recession is a, a small part of what could potentially happen if we don't have real leadership that's ready to come in and, um, and, and, make, the, um, and make the financial lives uh, of people in this country whole again. And it will be a very... Uh, scary thing if we keep on, if we keep on this track with so many factors at once. You know, in two thousand eight with the housing crisis, right? That was just that was like that was housing, right? You know, these subprime mortgages and the impact of the two thousand eight financial crash is still being felt today. And there are still people who haven't bounced back from two thousand eight who are getting hit with the second recession. So if we're having a if if there's an impending uh, housing, another impending housing crisis that also affects renters that's going to be a huge problem on top of a crisis of people not being able to go back to work or being able to find work uh, with the number of businesses that we see closing and it, it, it takes uh it, it's going to take some some very bold thinking uh the american recovery reinvestment act uh, 2009 you know that's going to be small potatoes for what we need uh to dig america out of the out of the rut that's to come so, um, you know, I like to read when publications cover Wisconsin from outside of Wisconsin, New York Times, Politico, whatever. And I've noticed lately a number of them have referred to you as a potential Senate candidate in 2022. Are you thinking about that at all? You're sounding like a robot. Like the, um, you're, you're, I'm, I'm actually being serious. I was going to stop you before, <laughs> I was, but you are, you are, you're clear now. And okay. I did hear, we, I, and I did hear the question. Okay. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm, First of all, I'm focused on winning in 2020. You know, that is top of mind right now. Uh, number two is making sure uh, that, you know, we craft a budget that is going to, uh, you know, positively impact the lives uh, of people in Wisconsin in a very challenging time, no less. So I, I, got, I got two big things on my mind right now, and that is winning this Tuesday and the second thing is getting this budget out of the way. Every, you know, I'm not going to let any sort of political ambition uh, cloud that or, or get in the way of it. Um, you know, some people want to just rush in and, you know, say everything else be damned. But that's not that's not how I'm going about this. Got a got a got a lot to got a lot to figure out. I uh, got to do the job I was elected to do first. And 
we'll make any decision uh, in due time. Fair enough. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. We are a few days away from Election Day. I guess people might still be voting on Election Day. People might be dropping off ballots. Um, they definitely should not be mailing them at this point. But um, Do not mail a ballot right now. No. <laughs> Especially by the time this is uh, out there in the, yeah. in the, pot, in the pot sphere. <laughs> Do not mail a ballot in. <laughs> um, Unless you're going for 2022 already. Well, yeah. see. So, so, some people like to jump the gun. <laughs> some people do like to jump the gun. Uh, what's your message to people who are voting in the 2020 election who have not cast their ballots yet or who actually maybe haven't decided whether they're going to vote yet? If you have, uh, if you are casting your ballot in the 2020 election, um, remember that there's so much on the line. You're voting for more than a ticket. You are voting for more than uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris or the other option. Uh, you are literally voting for health care in the middle of a public health crisis. You are voting for the environment at a time where we have leadership in the White House that denies the climate crisis the same way that they deny the pandemic. You are voting for the rights of marginalized community, our LGBTQ plus community, uh, our immigrant communities that continue uh, to be devastated by decisions to separate families. You are voting for uh, people who are out of work and no real path to economic recovery. Uh, you are voting for racial justice and, you know, for people that, you know, are wondering if they should vote or not. Uh, that is what's on the line right now. And if those issues don't impact you, chances are they impact somebody you know. Uh, they impact somebody who's around you. And it's even important to realize that those issues impact people that you don't know. You know, I don't, yeah, I, I vote for people that I have never met before. You know, I cast a ballot for people I will never meet because I understand that an improved quality of life uh, for people around me, uh, for people I don't even know, uh, means that, you know, my chance in, in America is, is that much greater. And this is, uh, this is a selfless act uh, for those uh, people who think that the election doesn't matter or why should I vote? And especially for people who dealt with any of the challenges or belong to any of the communities that I've outlined or uh, will be impacted by any of the issues that I talked about, it is especially important that you go out and cast a ballot, but also remember that voting in this election won't change everything. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that it will. Uh, I will say voting should be a habit. We should make sure that we treat our local elections uh, with the same uh, importance that we treat the presidential election. And also, final note, organize. You know, organize, 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 even after November 3rd, especially after November 3rd. We can't just expect that all the right things are going to happen once the polls close, uh, once we hopefully elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, after January 20th, we have to be sure that we make our voices heard. We have to be sure that we have a presence uh, so that people are no longer forgotten about. 
So um, you've done this podcast before, and I'd like to close up with a lightning round. And you've already kind of answered all the lightning round questions, but I do have a few. Let's do it again. Some things have changed. I've got, I've got, some, I've got a few new ones for you. <laughs> uh, so the, the Democratic Party of Wisconsin has done a whole bunch of fundraisers with um, casts from The Princess Bride and Parks and Rec and uh, Veep. And there's one coming up with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, which are all fun and, and cool. But if you were, if you could bring one cast together to do a fundraiser for the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, what would? Oh man. Um, so before before Ice Cube went astray, and before John Witherspoon died, would have been probably the cast of Friday. All right. That would have been a, that would have been a, a, a very fun one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cast okay. Friday. Okay. Or coming to America. Yeah. All right. Um, what are you listening to right now? I mean, not at this I, moment. Yep. But, you know. Um I am listening to uh, this, I was I was literally right before I got on here, I was listening to Toby, I cannot pronounce his last name, Miguel. Um has a song called uh Try Jesus. Okay. <laughs> you should uh, should listen to it. It's it's funny. Okay, it's a good song. But he brings <laughs> he brings this energy, and I was I was thinking, how can I classify this dude? Is like a he's like a it's like a different age, like sort of family uh, rapper. He he speaks so much about his about his family. He's got this interlude like with his wife, and she got pregnant during quarantine, and they were working out on a song. And on the interlude, he talks about how it, it was not great in the song. It's it's good. It's really good. After this, um, as we talked about at the beginning of this, you've been cooking. What is the best thing, or your favorite thing that you've cooked in quarantine? I made this uh, really good carrot bread because as pe- anybody who follows me on Instagram knows, my mom like always brings me a bunch of carrots. So many, ma- so many, so many carrots. And then I also uh, I made a really good tuna burger. Not too long ago that I'm super proud of. I'm not even one for the alternative burgers, but it, it was it was really good. And then uh yeah, oh ice cream. I've been like I've been the ice cream thing. I recently made a uh pecan pie gelato wow. with actual pecan pie. Oh wow, that sounds really good. Yeah, not just as a flavor, there are pecan pie chunks in there. That's amazing. Um mm-hmm. it's my favorite kind of pie, so get on board. Uh, I, I love it. Um, have there been any major cooking or baking fails? Well, yes. Um, I made an awful carrot cake. I tried to be fancy, and uh, yeah, I, I get real experimental. That's when I'm at my best when I when I experiment. And I decided that to add a boost of flavor, I would put some sesame oil in there, Ooh. and I put way too much sesame oil in there, and like. You could like, oh man, it was just, it was not great. It was, it was not great. I had to mask it with uh, cream cheese frosting because I hate throwing things away. Sure. So, so I made, so I made sure to like just mask it with cream cheese frosting. And not, you know, obviously early, anybody who follows me on Instagram, I cut the tip of my finger. So that counts as a fail. And I yeah. sliced my, and I sliced my finger on a mandolin. Oh God. Wait, were either of those with carrots also? No, um, so the mandolin, I was just washing it. <laughs> I wasn't even using it. I was just, and the thing is, I have, a, I have a glove for the mandolin 
And I also have like this skewer that covers the entire blade. So the chance of like the risk of injury is very low, but I had that false sense of security. And I just, when I was washing it, I cut it and, oh, I was cutting carrots actually when I chopped the tip of my finger. That was early. That was before my mother had the, you know, big carrot delivery. Um, yeah. So I, I was, I was cutting carrots very, very early on and nice piece of my finger is, was chopped off. Now it's like a very tough pad. <laughs> How many pounds of carrots do you think your mom has brought you during quarantine? Oof. A, a lot. Um, I, I'm going to assume what those are like two pound bags. So maybe like, I don't know, maybe, maybe 10. It's a lot curious. Okay. Last question. I think, um, unless we go on a carrot tangent, uh, if you were whatever, you know, you've obviously campaigned for many things, but if you were running like a, a big campaign where you, you campaign for the state assembly, you campaign for the state senate, you campaign for Lieutenant governor. Several, not many. I, I, I retract that. It, it's, it's, it's a few. It's a few. Several Seven. is like six. Okay. It's a few. You've campaigned for a few things. Three things. If you were running a really big campaign, like where you, you know, have a, a big rally for yourself and you need a bunch of music, what would be your walk-up song and what would be your closing song? <laughs> so I've been, I've been watching like a lot of, um, Teen Titans Go. That is like my <laughs> guilty pleasure. And I literally, I feel like Night Begins to Shine would have to be my walk-up song. I, just just because like I, 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 like, I like Teen Titans Go. So that would be, uh, yeah, Night Begins to Shine by B.E.R. There's also a CeeLo Green version, but the B.E.R. version really is the essence of 80s nostalgia. Okay. And um, I do feel like, did you ask like what band? Sure. Yeah. You didn't ask that, but no. <laughs> I, I, I'm a big local natives fan. All right. Like I, I, I like I like local natives a lot. Like I don't know why. They they are just a well produced band, in my opinion. Um, they they would be up there. All right. So like when Donald Trump gets done, he plays my way. Like, do you think you'd have a song? I would have. Um, 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 oh, that is a good question. What is the name of that song? Uh, I can't, I can't even think of it right now. I hate to disappoint the, the listeners. I'm going to leave them hanging. I, I got to leave everybody hanging and show up at my next in-person event whenever that happens and you'll get your answer. All right. Well, thank you for uh, making some time to talk about a wide variety of things. Um, Next time we have you on, maybe you'll have another music answer. And uh, till then, I imagine you'll be pretty busy these next few days. We'll be a little bit busy uh, throughout Tuesday. And yeah. it's good. We got, we got a lot of work to do, um, but this is, a, this is a big one. So intend to do everything I can. And since my heart still likes to be, I'm coming Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. For more like this, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer to listen. And if you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Opie 
or you can email me at jopoyan at madison.com. You should also check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Mad Splainers about local government and The Corner Table about food and drink. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.